0: This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter one, starting with verse nine and running through the end of the chapter. And what we saw last time was, from here to the cross pretty much in Mark's gospel, we're going to see full-blown ministry, and today we're going to look at some of Jesus' healings with a theme of uh, compassion running through them. And one scripture kind of ran through my mind, which was James 4:17. In James 4.17, and I'm going to do a little commentary on it, it says, For those of us who know to do good, we have the means, we're able to, and do not do it, or we refuse to do it, when we can do it, and the opportunity arrives, to him or to that person, it's a sin. So sins will get you coming and going, you know. We kind of think of sins of commission. Don't steal, don't kill, don't lie. But then there's also sins of omission where we could be compassionate, we could help somebody. We do have the ability and we just refuse to do it. Um, also reminds me of James. James is a great book. We're not in James. We covered that, but that's on, online. You can get that. But in James 2, he says, you know, what good is your faith? You know, what good is saying to somebody, be warm and, and, and well fed, when you can help them to be warm and well fed, but they're not. And you just say, just be warm and well fed, you know, be gone. Uh, so as we look at this, this, this scripture or this gospel, this chapter, what we find is Jesus is our example in everything. And what's really a blessing is, as we look at the healings, let's also look at it within the framework of the compassion that he shows as he heals. And that's something, again, that we can emulate uh, as he is our example. So we're going to jump in in verse 29. It says, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon meaning Peter, and Andrew, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Right? (laughs) What are you laughing at back there? we're gonna we're gonna go into this in some pretty good depth here but what I want to do is kind of take a little side note and talk about what happens in the human body and why we get a fever and then it really is pertinent believe it or not because we're going to talk about leprosy too and we're going to talk about the healings that he does and how complete those healings were so we know that we can be invaded our bodies by some type of microbe a bacteria or a virus And the hypothalamus responds by increasing the temperature in our body because it's not conducive for good replication for these microbes. So we get this fever. As a matter of fact, the word in Greek is puritas, where we get the word pyrexia, which is a fever. So that's what's going on. We don't really know what issue she has, but we do know that she had a spike in a fever. Now, I would say that today, uh, this morning, certainly this is appropriate because uh, I'm getting calls all the time about people saying pray, pray. I know people who got the, f- the swine flu, the flu, sickness, and it's just where we are in January. Uh, it happens every year. But you know as well as I do, especially if it's a virus, you know, you get um, pain syndrome, and then in the middle of the night, you get the shivers, and your body's trying to really get you hot to take care of that bug. I know for me, I put a, put a hat on and, and a coat and go to bed like that. I just want to sweat it out. And then, when you sweat it out and you, you feel inside of you that this, this invader has left you, it leaves you just exhausted. So, probably for the next day or two, you just don't feel like doing anything. Your body wants to rest, it wants to recuperate, it wants to go back to homeostasis. An interesting fact when the virus attacks your cells, they kind of land on it like a lunar module. They break through the cell membrane, and they're, they're, it's really like a horror movie. And they start replicating themselves inside of your cell, and then your cell bursts. And and just imagine that happening thousands and hundreds of thousands and million times within your body. So your body has to heal. It's kind of gross. I don't know if you had breakfast or not, <laughs> but it, it's true. That's what happens. But not when Jesus is around. Whatever the problem was, it's gone. The fever's gone. She's healed. Within a split second, in the blinking of an eye, this woman gets up. Imagine what she felt like. Wow, that's amazing. I feel my strength. This isn't like usual. It was a full-blown miracle. And I'll tell you the truth, God gives those gifts to us as well. And if you've ever been blessed, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've actually prayed for somebody and laid hands on them, And then they all of a sudden immediately get better. You're almost doubting whether it happened because it's so miraculous. But it's an experience like nothing else on this earth. But in Luke 4, it said that Jesus rebuked the fever. Remember I told you we were going to go through all the different gospels and add things in there to give you the full picture of what's going on. So in Luke 4, Jesus rebukes the fever. Now, I look at this, and I'm like, what does that mean? He, what is he, it's, just, it's a condition. It's a, inanimate. It, it's not a person. How is he rebuking it? And then I realized that sin and death were never meant to be. When God created us, he created us to be in complete fellowship with him and to live forever. It's because of sin and the fall of mankind that we deal with these things. I love the way he rebukes the demons, get out, He rebukes the fever, get out, trying to bring us kind of back to that original condition before all this nastiness started. But unfortunately, while we're on this side of eternity, we have to deal with these ailments as a result of the fall of mankind. Now, there's a few points that I want to make that we can find in this portion of Scripture, and we'll move on to the next section. Number one, Peter had a mother-in-law, which means that Peter had a wife which means that Peter was married, which means that Peter wasn't single, which means that he probably wasn't the first pope. (laughs) I'm just saying. I mean, (laughs) that's the beauty of the scripture. You can find all truth. You can see all the the, um, machinations of man, all the traditions. The Apostle Paul calls them vain traditions of men. Men make stuff up over the years. You go back to the original scripture, it clears everything up for you. As a matter of fact, the early church fathers tell us, two of them, that Peter's wife, okay, Peter's wife was martyred for her faith. She was actually killed in the Roman Empire because she would, would not denounce Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. All it took for this woman was a brief observation of what he did to her mother for her to be completely convinced. Convinced enough, number one, to allow her husband now to leave the home And follow Jesus. It's okay, Simon. We got it from here. We got a good family support. We'll take care of it. Go follow him. He's special. There's something about him. I know it. And I'm just taking artistic liberties here. And number two, she followed him unto death, meaning Jesus Christ. And the question is, for her brief encounter, she was convinced. Are we convinced? I find that in 2014, especially in this area, boy, it is hard to impress upon people the great things that God has for them, that he wants them to be reconciled back to them, that he has all these gifts that he wants to give them. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's a tough mission field. Okay? Listen, we have missionaries all over the world. Sometimes New Jersey can be a really tough mission field in itself. Right? The second thing is that Jesus was free to roam in Peter's household. We know that... Jesus met Peter on the shore. He was a fisherman. He introduced himself to the the fishermen. We know that Jesus went into the synagogues to teach, and we know that most likely the disciples went and said, what kind of person is this? And they actually sat with bated breath and listened to him teach and said, wow. But you know what? Peter also invited Jesus to his house with a sick mother-in-law. Now, I submit to you that the homes that they had back then were probably smaller than any of the homes that we have today. They were very simple homes, and when you went into the home, you could pretty much see everything that was going on in that house. So not only was Jesus coming into the house, but he was also getting to look around. And then you also have a sick mother-in-law there with the cold compresses or whatever they were doing. Brothers and sisters, we can't just leave Jesus at the church. When we go out into our parking lots today and Jesus says, hey, that's a nice ride. Can I come with you? I'd like to stay at your house today. Some have the attitude, no, Jesus, that's private. That's my personal space. You ever take somebody into your home? Okay, it's, it's an invasion of privacy. But some would prefer to leave Jesus in the church. I'll see you next Sunday, Lord. No, just stay right here. Please don't follow me home. And that's really not the attitude that we should have because the more we allow Christ into our home and to poke around and to look into our closets, we all have dirty closets, starting with me. But we've got to let Jesus look into those closets. That's the only way things are going to get better. We've got to have a real relationship with him, not just a church relationship. That's important. Also, Jesus heals her, this woman. What does she do? She shows her appreciation by serving him. Maybe that was all that she could do for him. But she popped right up probably and just started moving things around and and cleaning the place up and and asking Jesus if there's anything he needed. In those days, they would take your sandals off and wash your feet and try to make you feel comfortable and anoint your forehead with oil. she starts serving them. All he did was heal her from a fever. But you know what he's done for us? He has saved us from our sins. He has put all those sins, mine and yours, and he put them in a big tractor trailer, backed them up at the end of the dock, hydraulic that baby up, opened the trailer doors, and all of our sins fell out into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, we know that works don't save. We know that theologically. However, the book of James tells us that the evidence that we're saved is in the form of our works. Our works are not forced out of obligation. They come naturally out of our appreciation for the Lord. Our works show the whole world around us that there's something special about us. There's something different. It's faith in action, or like I'd like to say, faith with feet on the bottom of it. Verse 32. Now at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. We covered this before. Remember before the creation of man the angels were there. They were created by God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There was a familiarity and then a third of the angels fell and rebelled against God. So they all knew Jesus immediately The covering of flesh and bones could not cover the fact that he was the Son of God. Again, many today are unconvinced about the deity of Christ, but the demons knew exactly who he was. We talked a little bit about this last Sunday as well. I want to read another parallel scripture, Matthew 8.17, that goes a little further, because he quotes uh, Isaiah when he speaks of this. In Matthew 8.17, when when speaking about this, he says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now I want to take you back to Isaiah 43. Two verses, because I think this is important. Where it was referenced from. Isaiah 43, 4 through 5. I looked at about three or four different translations, and they all basically say the same thing, but there's some nuances. And I'm going to make my point. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." The point I'm trying to make here is that when you take this in totality, whether it's sicknesses or our sins or our griefs or our sorrows, what does this tell you? It says that Jesus Christ wants to minister to us spiritually. He came to die for our sins, didn't have to do that. He also came and took away our sicknesses, the people who lived back then. He cast out demons, He helped to take the burdens off of their minds. So it tells us that Christ can minister to us to us as a whole. Our spirit, our mind, and our body. Who says Jesus isn't enough? Who says there's stuff in the world? And we have so many smart people today that, thank God, they, they showed up because God couldn't do all the stuff that now these people can do for us. Not true. He wants to minister to the whole person. 35. Now in the morning... Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. So Jesus rises up early and goes to pray. A lot can be said about this. Number one, because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So what happened was... For the first time in all eternity, the Father and Son separated in a sense that Jesus took the form of of a man, took flesh and bone and skin and all that stuff, and also he came to the earth to minister to us and then to die for our sins. And I submit to you that the Father and Son, for the first time in eternity, became separated so that we could be joined to him. Think about that. Uh, The the fellowship that they shared for all of eternity, there was a a little bit of a a division there so that Christ could save the world so that we could be joined back to them. The depth, There's no depths that God will go to redeem his children, even his sinning children. Amen? Two, Jesus is our example in all things. He went to a place, he was undistracted, alone, and made specific time for prayer. Now, We talk about prayer a lot and the importance of prayer. Uh, A church goes into dangerous territory when they choose not to have a venue for prayer, when prayer is not important. That's where we get our our life strength, our life force from, from God Almighty. And I submit to you this, a little transparency from the pulpit, I don't pray enough. And if I prayed more, I would still come up here and say, I don't pray enough. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I say, hey, It's all good. I got this formula. I'm going to give it to you. We're going to make copies of it. I got this thing down pretty good. You know? We draw our strength from God. We get our communion from Him. And you know what? Sometimes in prayer, He reveals things to us. He lets us know of danger that's down the road. He wants to protect us. And He just wants our time. Three. Prayer is also speaking to God as well as listening to God. You can't have one without the other. We just recently... Uh, uploaded a video to our church Facebook wall. So if you're not on, you know, ask to become a member on the group, we'll get you in there and you can check it out. It's called Coffee with Jesus. It's kind of cute. I've seen this done a few times. They're about three minutes long, and there's a guy who's, you know, dressed up like Jesus with the sash and the robe. And he meets this guy at like a coffee house, and they're sitting across from a table. And this guy's hurried. He's a businessman. He comes, and he's kind of praying, in a sense. And he's got his list of things to do. And every time Jesus goes to respond to him, he cuts him off and continues. And at some point, the guy finally stops. And you can see Jesus. He goes, he takes a deep breath, and he's going to talk. And the guy goes, oh, look at the time. i got to get out of here. He goes, I'm going to end this with an amen. Goodbye. (laughs) Well, it's funny, but it's sad. Because sometimes we talk at the Lord, and we're not listening to him enough. It is a relationship. Some people find that strange. We may have a relationship with God. I say to them, will you have a relationship with your loved ones? Yeah. We believe in God? Yeah. Well, he created that relationship, so why wouldn't you think? Some of it's just logic. It's common sense. And then four, Jesus was disciplined. Disciplined. There's some things in the scripture I think that when we read it, we don't like it. Because it might say some things about ourselves. Uh, Sometimes the outside world levels vitriol against us and has a problem with the Christian community, and you know what? Some of it we own. We need to be more disciplined like Jesus Christ. We need to set the example. We shouldn't be neglectful or slothful or fickle or feckless. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I'll be there, I'll do that. I've just lowered my expectations. And I'm overjoyed when somebody actually people could keep commitments. You know, brothers and sisters, we can do a better job. We need to be a little bit more disciplined. Sometimes in the spiritual realm, we're slothful when in we go to our secular boss and our secular job and our secular peer groups, and we're very punctual. That's unacceptable. I hear people say, "Oh, I would love to walk with Jesus back then. Well you doing it now?" Because <laughs> he could certainly use your help. 37 when they found him they said to him everyone is looking for you but he said to them let us go into the next towns that i may preach there also because for this purpose i have come forth and he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all galilee and casting out demons so the disciples finally catch up with jesus and they basically say listen Everybody's looking for you. I don't think any man could handle the popularity that Jesus had. It would immediately go to his head and destroy him. But Jesus did not want to be a celebrity. That was not why he came. He had specific goals, and that was not one of the goals. Everybody's looking for you. Hey, check this out. We're going to go into the next tent. What? How many times did the disciples hear Jesus say something to them, and they questioned what he Can you imagine that? They're questioning the Lord. But they did. They didn't understand. (laughs) Didn't the Son of God know that people were looking for him? Of course he did. But his prayer time was more important. Now I'm going to speak to my pleasers because you know a church is a cross-section of society. A pleaser is somebody who always wants to make people feel good, who always will kind of destroy themselves in in an event to make everybody happy and exceed all of their expectations. To my pleasers, I'd like to say this to you. Do what the Lord has called you to do, and then do the best you can. And that's it. Amen? Because you will be run over with others. You know, they'll, they'll realize that you're a pleaser. And they will continue to take, 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 take until you're exhausted and there's nothing left. So that's to my pleasers. Jesus, though, wasn't concerned about the concern of the crowds. Jesus wasn't concerned that the disciples were going to go to the local police department and do a missing persons report. He knew what he had to do, and he was focused in what he had to do. Now, there's a few things that we can learn from Jesus's own mouth as he speaks, right? For this purpose, I have come forth. What did he come for? Well, John 3.16 is one of them. He came to die for the sins of mankind. In addition to that, He came to preach the good news of the gospel. This is actually good news. You can be freed from your sins. You can have a great standing before the Father because of this sacrifice. And I'll tell you this, that we need to know more of our word as well. We need to know why Jesus came, because there's a lot of things that are ascribed to Christ about why he came that are just clearly not scriptural. As a matter of fact, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, What did Satan do? He toyed with Eve. He got her by herself and he said, he started out, did God really say this? And she tried to tell him what she thought she knew and then he twisted God's words. Well, that's really not the reason. And the reason is this, he's holding out on you. He knows that once you eat of that fruit, you're going to be just like him, knowing everything. And, you know, I think the father's got a little bit of a jealous streak running through him. So why don't you come with me and listen to me and take a bite of that fruit. And by the way, give some to your husband as well. And we know what happened from there. That's why we're in this position. But we need to know our word so that we're not deceived. In the the age of media and social media, we're getting bombarded by so many things. And sometimes believers don't know what's true and what's not true. The only way we're going to know it is to know our word. Verse 37, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. His response, let's go to the next town. Now, this was not antipathy for the crowds, but it also wasn't his focus either. And this is an important lesson for ministry because crowds can bring men, and now women as well, many things. Well, if the crowds are big enough and your ministry is big enough, it can bring finances. It can bring a pretty nice lifestyle. And you see some of these people live in this lifestyle in the name of Jesus or on his back. It can bring popularity. Some who can't make it in the world try to make it in the ecclesiastical realm. It could also bring a platform. I want to be heard. And then what you get is platitudes and opinions from the pulpit instead of the scripture from the pulpit. And people will still follow them. I've heard um, a teaching. It might have been Chuck Smith. Maybe somebody, If you, I can't find out where it is, so if you know, come back and tell me after service. Where he was speaking to pastors and basically using an analogy with books of the Bible about numbers, about counting heads. And he said, guys, get out of numbers and get into acts. Get it? <laughs> numbers, acts, okay. Some, some in ministry, they get to the point where it's all about the crowds, where there's no more personal discipleship, where the person becomes untouchable and, and so high that they don't mix with people anymore. Well, that's problematic as well, because what happens is they become out of touch with reality. You've heard that about politicians, especially the... You ever look at... um, I'm really going off on a tangent here. But you ever look at the Washington, D.C. culture? It's like a different world. It's It's really not like the United States. I think what happens is these federal politicians, it's like a drug. They become addicted to this lifestyle, and they're completely out of touch with their constituents at home. And that that can happen in ministry too. Just these lofty ivory tower uh, ministry leaders that are completely out of touch with the common person. And that becomes a problem that Jesus spoke about with the Nicolaitans. Just saying. Verse 40. It says, Then a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away, or, excuse me, he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. Warned him not to, you know, make a big talk about it so much. And of course, he goes and does it anyway, and as most of them did. And we'll talk about that as well. But leprosy, let's talk about our second illness, uh, our second focus of an illness for this morning. Leprosy is caused by a mycobacterium that in those days there was no cure, but today it's cured by what's called MDT. It's a multi-drug treatment. It's a triple drug that's uh, given to the person and it, 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 it cures and kills the bacterium. However, if it's not treated soon enough... What, what leprosy does is it, it attacks the peripheral nerves. It does a lot of things. It can cause blindness. It can cause deformity. It can cause gangrenous situations, infections. So what happens is you get a person who's halfway through this, uh, uh, this horrible disease, you give him the MDT, he gets cured of it, but still he may be blind for life or he may be deformed. So that's a fact. In, in other countries, this still exists and it's still being treated. Now. Law of Moses required this. Before bacteriology and electron microscopes, the law of Moses, because God, of course, knows everything, and he understands contagion and all those things. In the law of Moses, it required a leper to be quarantined to confirm or dispel that he actually had it. And if he did have it, he couldn't live within society because of the contagion. And, by law, the person had to call out if a person came towards him. He would say, unclean, unclean, so that person wouldn't become infected with the uh, leprosy. So that's the backdrop here. Here you have a leper who broke the law. He broke the law of Moses in approaching Jesus, but Jesus didn't condemn him. Leprosy is a picture of sin because it's destructive. And what happens is, like lepers, Sinners come to Christ who are overrun by this horrible disease called sin, and they've broken the law. We've broken the law, and we come to Christ. And all those, the Bible says, that come to Christ, He will in no wise cast out. So, whatever your issue is this morning, if you don't know the Lord and something's holding you back, do not let it. I don't remember in the scripture one leper that Jesus says, I'm not healing you. I don't like your attitude. I don't like the way you look. I don't like your lifestyle. He healed every single leper that came to him. Keep that in mind. Now, we can assume and deduce from the scripture that this man, unlike MDT treatment, the fancy stuff we have today, that when Jesus healed the leper, everything was restored. Remember the man with the withered hand? He had, he had him stretch out his hand, miraculously, all the bones, the ligaments, the blood vessels, the nerves. Imagine what it takes to take somebody who's deformed and has a, a withered hand to completely come out, regain its strength, the muscle tissue. Everything started to rebuild immediately. Again, I would like to see when I go to heaven just some of those healings. I'd like to, him to rewind it because it must have been mind-blowing. So this guy is healed as good as new, new. And for all of us that come to Christ, he also heals us completely. When we come to Jesus Christ, there's nothing more that we have to do to be healed from the effects of sin. Okay, We don't have to work our way to heaven. We don't have to be a slave to him. He just heals us because he loves us. But we have to believe in the sacrifice that he made for us. Very simple. This man believed. He said, if you're willing, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to call out unclean. I'm going to come real close to you because I know that what I have won't affect you. And that brings us to our third point. Short of a miracle of God, leprosy only went in one direction. From the infected person to the well person, then that person was infected. From that new infected person to the well person, and so on and so on and so forth. It never went in the reverse, short of a miracle of God. And the law provided for miracles of God. He still did miracles even back in the Old Testament. Now, Like leprosy, sin has the ability to do the following. To defile us, to destroy us eternally, to isolate us. Think about this. 24, 25 I was before I came to the Lord. I remember, still remember. I got a good memory, not going back there. Isolate, it brings us to be destitute. And just like it numbs the nerves and the periphery of the body, what sin does is it numbs us things that could hurt us that's why lepers would have they literally didn't have body parts falling off unless the infection spread or the gangrene spread there was actually reports of or rats that would chew the toes off of people who were infected with leprosy and they didn't feel it and they woke up and they didn't have any toes but that's what leprosy does but you know what sin does it deadens us spiritually it, it tells us to do things it tells us to engage in a lifestyle that's self-destructive So you can see the parallels in this situation. But Jesus had the power to reverse the situation. Now, if we're born again, we're his agents. And that power Jesus gives us to affect others for Christ. How do we, we... We can't save a person. We can't even save ourselves. But we can bring them to somebody who can save them. And it should go in one direction. And when we are negatively affected as believers by our peer groups or, or the culture, and we're tempted to go back to those old ways, to me, that I, I think of a person who had leprosy, was completely cleansed, and then goes into a colony of lepers, and instead of saying, hey, guys, let me influence you, I want you all to get better. And they say, no, hang out with us. Become a leper again like us. Really, who, after being cleansed, would want to go back to that? As spiritual beings, we need to really be careful with some of the influences that we have in our lives. We don't want to go back to that situation. We want to love everyone to get them to come where we are. And it can only be done through Christ's touch. 44. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every quarter. Jesus loved people so much, you know, he must have been exhausted at the end of every day, just healing and healing and healing people. And he just had so much compassion. He loved people so much. But the, that, the, the throngs and the crowds couldn't distract him from the message of salvation what good is it to get better physically right brothers and sisters somebody said to me i want you to pray for a loved one who's going through something really bad that it could kill them but i also want you to pray for their salvation good point because what's the sense for us to get healed of cancer or heart disease or uh, whatever we're dealing with and then at the end of our life meet the lord and we're judged And we have to face the consequences of our sins. So keep that in mind with our loved ones. Pray for them to get better. But if they don't know the Lord, certainly pray for their salvation. Because that's more important. So in verses 44 through 45, uh, basically Jesus tells him to go to the priest. Remember, Jesus didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law, to fall within the framework of God's law, Mosaic law. And in Leviticus 14 you see the whole, it's a very long chapter about the prescription and what to do and the sacrifice that it has to make after the person is healed. In closing, if we had leprosy and we were healed, could anyone keep us quiet? However, a healed leper will eventually die, but a saved sinner will live forever. I wonder if one of Satan's tools and I, I think discouragement is a big one. That's a really nasty one. You ever get hit with a bout of discouragement? And he just kind of, just takes the air out of you? It's one of his tools. He's got a really big tool bag. He's got some very impressive, intricate tools that he uses on us. And he just keeps flipping through them until he finds the right one. So I wanted to throw discouragement out there, but it has nothing to do with, with the message. Um, there's other tools that he uses. Number, another, another one is that we get stale in our walk with the Lord. And unfortunately, sometimes that can happen if we're Christians for a long time. We get engaged in the Christian community. We watch, you know, we, our friends are Christian. We want to send our kids to Christian events. And we get so immersed in this community, but our walk gets stale. Being, being doing Christian stuff day in and day out, sending your kids to Christian school and all that stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't make you mature. It doesn't give us a good walk with him. We can allow our walk with him to become stale. We can take the blessings of God for granted. Yeah, we can do that. And that's dangerous. We have a compassionate God desiring to walk with us, also desiring to save the people around us, and desiring us to use us to influence those people because He loves them. What's the sense in cloistering ourselves in a community and not going outside of that community and taking a chance on somebody who doesn't know the Lord? Amen? When we look at this chapter it's in its entirety, we see this is a story about a loving God trying to win his lost children back to him because he knows what's good for them. And it's also about us serving and desiring to be used by God. And it's a picture not of being guilt-ridden. We, no one should ever serve because they feel guilty. Don't do that. Don't do, even the, the Apostle Paul says when it comes to giving financially, he says if you don't have a joyful heart, you know what, keep your money. That's my translation. But that's basically what he's saying. Don't give unless your heart is joyful about giving. Keep it. You need it more than the other person does. It's also not about a slavish obligation, but it's about his children, you and I, being one back to him, knowing what's good for us, showing our appreciation for the the love and the compassion that he gave us and the fact that he saved us from ourselves and from our sins. I just pray that as we go through this book, in this gospel, that we really understand and receive of the love, forgiveness, compassion that he has for us and others around us, and that we allow him to have first place in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's, there's nothing like going through the gospels.